Welcome to Occasional Randomness. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and joining me as always, my fellow co-host, someone who's not possessed by an energy being, at least as far as I can tell, Jason Johnson. Nope. All good here. No taste tasting needed. We're we're all set here. Thank you very much. How are you? <laughs> oh, to start wars, which we'll talk about in here in a second. Yeah, so do energy beings taste like chicken? Just wondering. Yeah. They, they do after you fry them in a star chamber. And, uh, well, we've threatened to do this uh, before when the mood strikes us, and now it's time. So, in addition to our regularly scheduled review of Farscape, we'll also be reviewing the first half of this season of The Mandalorian, Season 3. Uh, it's episodes 1 through 4, if you're keeping track at home. Which, not to be confusing since we're past that as we record this, but that's what we're going to confine ourselves to. So, By the time you hear this, the season will be over. <laughs> so. Ooh, timey-wimey. Yep. The magic of time. And uh, just a quick public service announcement. If you like our little podcast here, please give us a like or review on your podcasting platform of choice. You know, doesn't be anything, you know, wordy or long or whatever, you know, a couple stars, a thumbs up, whatever, you know, help spread the word and let people know about us so they can enjoy this as well. So, you know, tell people on social media, Discord, Slack, or even in person. We don't do that anymore. Yeah. yeah. We don't judge wherever you are. We don't care. <laughs> Every little bit helps. All right. On At least to... do it randomly. You know, it, it, occasionally, yeah. randomly, just get the word out. Keep in spirit of the podcast. All right. On to the main topic, Farscape. Season 3, Episode 9, Losing Time. We open up with Scorpius awakening from having visions of being on Moya with Crichton and finding a wormhole. As he wakes up and unplugs himself from some device... Lieutenant Bracca comes in and tells him that he thinks they've finally done it. Scorpius leaves his quarters and on the way out, looks out a window and sees a wormhole. Ta-da. Ta-da. Back on Moya, Crichton wants them to continue searching for what he believes may be a wormhole. Maybe not the same one? Who knows? We don't know. Pilot, though, refuses to go any further unless the others agree, but they're all pretty much done with this. Despite Crichton's pleas, everyone says no and leaves. Oh, Crichton tries one last time to get Pilot to continue... But Pilot instead tells Crichton that Moya is about to pass through an electromagnetic cluster, which of course won't have any problems whatsoever. When Moya does, Crichton sees some kind of energy being that passes straight through him a couple times. He falls to the floor, but then suddenly he's lifted up in the air and blood starts dripping all over the floor, probably from him face planting on the floor just a micro ago. Nah, that couldn't be it. Nah, cause and effect. We don't do that right here. When Crichton wakes up, he tells Pilot that a light came into Moya. But Pilot has no idea what he's talking about. Crichton sees his pool of blood and runs off screaming for the others. Tiana spots him in the hallway and he asks if she's alright. She says, yeah, but you look terrible. He tries to describe what happened to him and then just asks if he's been cut anywhere. She looks him over and says that maybe he imagined it. He takes her up to command, but his blood has been cleaned up. When Tiana asks, Pilot again says he's registered nothing at all. Crichton sees the DRD that was there, probably mopped up his blood, grabs it, and tries to find some of it still in it, but doesn't find anything. He goes and sits down, and then suddenly notices blood all down his forearm. That seems normal. Yeah. Random bleeding. (laughs) Occasional random bleeding. (laughs) (laughs) On the bleeding edge of occasional randomness. That's right. Taking it too literally. Crichton goes down to Pilot's den, who again tells him that the scans indicate the electromagnetic cluster is harmless. Uh Uh-huh. Then he suggests that it may have been something to do with degradation from Carvok's cloning process. Oh, yeah, he's a clone. Yeah, or not. We don't know. Copy? Yeah. <laughs> Jewel wonders what's going on as her chamber is boiling hot and the maintenance bay is leaking. Chana says that Pilot is having troubles with the internals as she places a bucket underneath a leak. Dargo and Crichton come in, and Crichton says that something is very, very wrong and wants the others to sit and watch him in case he bleeds again. <laughs> <laughs> Fun times. Sit and watch paint dry. Dargo forces the girls to sit and watch. The dripping watering continues, and after a few minutes, Chana says, you know, she wants to leave. She gets up, but then she slips. There's water all over the floor, and the bucket is suddenly overflowing. But Crichton had the DRD record them all, and the playback shows them falling unconscious and then suddenly waking up and shaking violently. Back on the command carrier, Bracca tells Scorpius that the Prowler maintained integrity on the last six attempts to enter the wormhole, with no gravitational distortions. The wormhole project leader, Drillick, says that Scorpius' indecision is a waste of time. A manned flight should take place immediately. Another scientist, Strappa, says that if the trial is not completed soon, they'll have to find another wormhole to test. 
Jillick insists that they try, and Scorpius agrees. I'm sure it'll work out just fine. Yep. Back on Moya, Dargo says that they are out for about half an arn. Everyone goes down to see a pilot, who appears to be asleep. He suddenly wakes up, throwing them back, saying that one of them, judgment starts now. Dun, dun, dun. Crichton asks confusedly what he means by that, and he says that Pilot is gone. He's here now. Pilot is possessed. He says that he can stay in Pilot for a while without harming his body, so he can find the diseased energy rider. That doesn't sound good. All right, so part of that thing at the bottom of the contract. I'm not sure which. Yeah. <laughs> not that kind of rider, yeah. <laughs> when they pass through the electromagnetic cluster, the rider escaped and now inhabits one of their bodies. He says that he must taste them one at a time to find it. Ew, kinky. <laughs> they leave Pilot and try to find out if they have any control of Moya now. Jules says that she, eh, she thinks it's Crichton since he was the first one defected, but Shanna says maybe it's Pilot is the only one. Dargo just says they have no control over Moya whatsoever. Ever the logical. Yeah, stick to the facts. Back on the carrier, the Prowler pilot has returned, but is not responding to comms. When they go down to the hangar to check and open the hatch or cockpit, he has been reduced to goo and oozes out all over the Prowler and the floor. That didn't go so well. Yeah, clean up on aisle one. Yeah, right. But Drillick says that won't happen again. But Scorpius tells him that it will happen once more and orders him to pilot the next trial. Don't PO your boss. (laughs) (laughs) He objects, but Scorpius tells him that Bracca will insist. He makes Strapa the new project leader and tells him that knowing what to expect, he can find out what went wrong. Meanwhile, Creighton and Dargo return to Talip, that's the rider that's inside a pilot, who says that they cannot ambush him. He says that if he were to possess them, he would destroy them. He tells them that the rider should not know anything about their private lives, so that may help narrow down the search. So, on the way back to the rest of the crew, Dargo and Creighton tell each other personal things that only they would know about each other before questing Chiana. After a pause, Chino answers their questions. So they look over to Jewel, and she tells him how she was frozen, but then kind of changes her story on how her cousins were frozen, saying that she was lying before. Hmm. Hmm. How do we know that, right? Chino, of course, doesn't buy that and tells Talop to take Jewel. And despite objections, he does taste her in an extremely painful process, but afterwards says that, nope, the rider was not there, but maybe it is still there somewhere hidden, but he couldn't tell. So tasting is not very effective. Yeah. So, what the heck, he wants to taste everybody in turn. <laughs> no. Dargo stays with Jewel, and Crichton and Chiana get a DRD and start talking to Moya through it. The DRD indicating through blinking lights if Moya agrees or disagrees with them. And Moya agrees to help. The DRD that Crichton took, which he named is Pike, takes him to Moya's starburst chamber, below the neural cluster, where Pilot can't detect anything. In that chamber, a control comes down that Chiana pushes that starts a small energy burst, which they soon shut off. Chiana asks why Moya would ask them to be there for this, and walks towards the Starburst crystal in the center of the room. Crichton sees the rider above her head, and it reveals itself through Chiana to Crichton. In a manner that's not as all creepy. Yes. <laughs> in an inappropriate and weird and creepy way. And the rider says that it's glad that he knows, and she jumps on top of him. There we go. Saying that she wants to try the body, and the body wants him. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> she said that Talop said she would hurt the body, but he's lying. She loves the body. She says that she hides because Talip wants to kill her. He likes pain, and after, he will kill the crew. Oh, no. And back on the carrier, Scorpius is injecting himself with something, which we're not quite sure what, when Bracca interrupts him. Scorpius asks Bracca why a human, Crichton, can survive re-entry into a wormhole and not a sedation. Scorpius says that Bracca is his second-in-command because he doesn't ask questions, and asks Bracca why Peacekeeper High Command gives him so much rain in chasing down Crichton and researching wormholes. Since Bracca doesn't ask too many questions, he says he doesn't question High Command. <laughs> And Scorpius asks him if it would surprise him to learn that the Scarens are planning a massive assault against the Peacekeepers. But they have not struck because they fear hidden wormhole weapons that the Sebations say they have. Bracca says, but they don't have any hidden weapons. And Scorpius says, that's right, they lied. And he thinks the Scarens are beginning to suspect that they're lying. High Command reports that the Scarens have been massing armies, and the latest estimates have the Scaren warriors outnumbering Peacekeepers over 10 to 1. Scorpius says, if and when they attack, they're going to lose big time unless they harness a superior weapon, wormhole technology. Without it, Sebations will be gone, and sometimes he thinks it's already inevitable. Back on Moya, Crichton uses DRD Pike to ask Moya what she wants them to do. She wants Crichton to give Chiana and the energy rider over to Talip. Crichton's still a little cautious of just handing her over, so he and Dargo go to Talip and say that they've hidden the rider, but Talip chooses to taste Dargo anyway. 
just because. Meanwhile, Jewel goes to Chiana and threatens her. When Creighton comes along, the rider grabs both him and Jewel by the throat, but she lets them go, and then Talop tastes Chiana and drives the rider out. Unfortunately, it goes into pilot. Jewel comforts Chiana while Talop says he killed the rider, but he has mastered pilot's body and the ship, and now he will stay. Because no one saw that coming. Nope. Aliens are always trustworthy. I don't understand this. Yeah, anyone that comes on board the ship is there because they want to be. And Crichton finds Pike again and tells Moya that she was right and he should have listened to her straight away and handed the rider over. Although he still thinks Talop would have betrayed them all and has another plan that requires her help. He sends Jewel down to the neural cluster where Dargo is waiting and drags Chiana off with him. He says that Moya is going to redirect Starburst energy to kill Talop and when he calls Chiana, she has to join two wires together and then get out of the room. That's all, just two wires and get out. Dargo and Jewel do their part, and Crichton tells Talop that he's killing Pilot because of his circulation rate. He convinces Talop to go into Moya, and Crichton signals Chiana, who, after kind of stumbling and fumbling around, manages to join the wires together and just get out of the room before the Starburst energy incinerates her. Unfortunately, poor dear D-Pike is not so lucky and is trapped inside. Alas, poor Pike. Starburst energy floods into Pilot's den and destroys Talop just before he can possess Moya. Afterwards, Jewel leaves to rest when Crichton calls Dargo. Dargo doesn't answer, and Chana says that's because he's right here with them. And then suddenly Dargo walks in on cue. Crichton's confused, but eh, goes away to sleep. Back on the command carrier, Scorpius is resting again. This time he's not hooked up to the machine before, and has visions of grabbing Crichton by the throat and telling him all he knows about wormholes. Crichton manages to turn it around, though, and he tells Scorpius it's game over, and he throws Scorpius into the wormhole. Scorpius suddenly wakes up with a look of both determination and fright. The end for now. Some trivia about losing time. As we just talked about, Chiana has begun ex- displaying a previously unknown ability, Premonition, at the end of this episode. Didn't see that coming. Hey! <laughs> John was 16 years old when he lost his virginity to Karen Shaw that he mentioned to Dargo. Dargo says he was 7. Not to Karen Shaw, just in general. That would be weird. Yeah. This is the second of three references to Karen Shaw in the series, if you're keeping track. The first one was way back in Season 1, Episode 8, The Old Black Magic, where they encountered Maldus for the first time. Another energy being, maybe. Hmm. The inspiration for this episode came partly from a nosebleed, oddly, that Ben Browder had during his audition with Rockne O'Bannon and David Kemper. And they hung onto that for three years and they made a story about it. Okay, whatever. Creative process. Yeah, it takes time to make a story. We see Moya's Starburst Chamber for the first time. It was designed by Tim Ferrier, a production designer on the series, to be Moya-esque but unique to anything we've seen before. The voice Lenny Tupu used for Talib Possessed Pilot is much closer to his natural voice. And Jewel gets some new clothes, which becomes her standard set of clothes for a bit. All right, so that was Losing Time. What do you think about it? I would say overall I thought it was a good episode. Some of the sections were a little confusing, but that's pretty normal, I think, with bouncing back and forth. I did enjoy the the Scorpius scenes. I think we'll dig into that a little bit. And I really like the crew interactions. As always, we say that's kind of the strong point. The alien beings felt kind of repetitive. I feel like we've done this kind of stuff before. So I wasn't that that part didn't interest me as much. But the the crew stuff and the the definitely the the stuff with Scorpius was really the, the kicker for this one, I think, for me. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the aliens were just there to drive the plot. Like they're not, they weren't really there for us to like feel sorry for them or sympathetic towards them or whatever. It was just like, like you said, that kind of helped drive the crew interactions and the crew plot. Right. You know, it, it, it was the justification for conversations and things, but we really didn't. It wasn't a dynamic force that I think you know that we'll be talking about in future conversations. Right. It was just kind of a, a one-off. So. Yeah. Well, because they're both dead now, so we'll never see them again. So yeah. <laughs> we did get the star burst chamber though. That's kind of cool. Yeah, we get to see more of Moya. That's it's always fun to see. You know, they built a new set. And I'll say something like it's going to be repetitive, right? So we'll see it again. Hopefully, yeah, if they, if they built it. But yeah, when the episode first started, I was a little confused since it seemed like we kind of jumped into the middle of something because, you know, Scorpius was running around with Crichton on Moya and was like, did, we, did I miss something? No, I, it's, you know, zero minutes on the, <laughs> on the show. Okay. So then I was kind of thinking it's like one of those like teaser openings, right? Where they show you like something bad happening to the characters. And they jump back to like, you know, 10 hours ago. And then you see how they got there right at the beginning. But nope, it was just a dream or sort of. Yeah, we, we well, we'll see. But it, it there was a, a pretty abrupt cold open. But I don't know. I've kind of got to where I expect them. So it, it, I was kind of like you said, though, looking for the bounce back and forth. But they just kind of rolled with it. So I guess we filled it in pretty quick. So speaking of Scorpius and, and company here, let's, let's stick with that for a second. So it looks like 
I guess that neural chip that he got from Crichton's head or from past torture, they've got some way of now finding wormholes that they didn't know about before or couldn't find before. And not from the beginning necessarily, but definitely from the ending for sure. Does it seem like we have some kind of mental clone of Crichton and now in Scorpius' head? That would be some poetic justice, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely one of my favorite parts of this episode and one of my favorite revelations, if it sticks. I really like the idea of those guys messing with each other mentally, you know, and, and stuff. So it'd be kind of cool and, like you say, poetic justice if John got Scorpius in his head for so long, possibly still, we don't really know. And uh, Scorpius has now got a John in his head that he can give a crazy nickname to and deal with on a regular basis. Yeah. If he calls him Harvey, too, then hey, man, you know. <laughs> Or John could just introduce himself as Harvey, which would just be, you know, yeah. <laughs> calls himself Harvey. But yeah, if you think about it, yeah, because the neural chip had like a, a copy of Scorpius's, what you call personality, brain, whatever in it that was messing with John while it was recording what was in John's head, then I guess it makes sense to turn around and you plug it into somebody else and there's a copy of John in there. So hello, hi. <laughs> <laughs> well, and based on the way that section of the storyline ended, for this episode, it almost makes you wonder if they're having a similar fight for control of the body. And we may see John in control of Scorpius. Right, because he That's wasn't three Johns. The... Yeah. <laughs> and then three Scorpiuses. Yeah. Are there Scorpii? multiple Scorpius? Well, if, if each John clone has Harvey in his head there. Yeah, right. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. They're identical copies. Yeah, they have to be. It's just mind bleepery across the board. <laughs> <laughs> And then, as always, you know, with Farscape, we get some you know, lovely backstories on things. Here, Scorpius tells Bracca that the Scarens are about ready to overwhelmingly invade the Peacekeepers and wipe them out. And only the threat of wormhole weapons, which of course that's what you do with technology wormholes, you make weapons out of it. Now, only that's going to keep them away, which is kind of, a, if you think about it, that's kind of like a, another difference between John and Scorpius, right? You know, John is fascinated with wormholes in a positive scientific way, like ways to travel the galaxy or in this case, get home. But all Scorpius cares about is that they can be turned into weapons. Yeah. Which kind of aligns with the peacekeepers and their mentality. Right. I, I do think it's interesting that I could be wrong, but I think this is the first time we see the peacekeepers as not being the dominant force in a conflict. I mean, you know, even with the, the Royal family and stuff, they kind of were willing to come as ambassadors and stuff like that. When we had the, the episode where John got married, but you know, the, for the most part, every time the peacekeepers show up, they're the, everybody's running away or scared or hiding from them. They're not anybody on their level. So it just kind of felt like an interesting thing to have them be the dominant force in a conflict. Yeah, and they're kind of turning the Scarens into, or not turning into, but revealing more and more of them as we see them, and that they're, they're becoming like the bigger bad. Like, you know, the peacekeepers we thought were the big bad, but even they're possibly afraid of another faction. So hmm. possibly, or who knows? Yeah. yeah. Which really makes Scorpius even more interesting since he's a hybrid, right? And how do you tell people you have a wormhole weapon like without showing them like what it does? So how do they just, oh, we have a thing with a wormhole. Oh, yeah, yeah, wormhole. Yeah, it's a thing where people go into it and don't come out. How do you like <laughs> threaten with that? But, but apparently it's working, so okay. They posted it to WikiLeaks. It's okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> they made a, made, made a fake video, like a, a, a deep fake. With, you know. <laughs> yeah, like the moon landing. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Occasional Conspiracies. No. <laughs> Yeah, but I guess speaking of actual wormhole testing, uh, not quite going so well. Yeah, you can find a wormhole, but you can't send your people into it because they all turn into like liquid. That's not really a good way to... Although if you want a weapon, I guess, that's one way of... Here you go. We'll, yeah, just, goo we'll, we'll just gooify you with the, with the wormhole. Send, send the sebations through the wormhole. Yeah, so really that's kind of a bad thing because that's your own people. So you're going to send the Scarens through and goo them. Right. But anyway, you, know, you, you, guess, you have to start somewhere, right? <laughs> And apparently, uh, yeah, if, if you m make the boss mad, um, he will make you the next person to go try. So uh, nice, nice job there, dude. Don't don't be snarky towards your boss. <laughs> so yeah, you gotta love uh, the Scorpius management style. Yeah, he studied through the um, Darth Vader school of management. So yeah, yeah, uh, always lifting others up, right? That was Vader's methodology. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> you get probably one... goes through a lot of lead researchers that way, though. Yeah. You get one chance. <laughs> After that, you're being drug off down the corridor. It's... <laughs> so... No. Oh, wait. Wrong scene. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, we won't go there. All right. So back to the, well, to the Moya plot line now. So, I mean, obviously this whole point of the show was what they set up, but 
so much drama can be avoided in TV shows if you just don't go into strange things like strange nebulas, strange houses, strange energy fields, whatever. Did Moya not care? Not really know? Did she think it wasn't a big deal? Did she not sense it in time to get made pilot to fly around it? Was, it? was it too big to fly around? We don't know. But hey, it set the whole episode up, so what are you going to do? Yeah, it was, quote, harmless, right? So I'm, I'm guessing it was kind of like a pothole in space. It was, you know, not worth dodging, at least from the what it looked like. But sometimes you hit them and they're bigger than you thought, you know, kind of one of those things. And, you know, where, where I can see the scene in like a future episode where they're like, hey, look, up ahead's an energy, mag- energy field. Let's go around it. They're not going to do that. So, oh, well. <laughs> yeah, six feet to the right, please. You would think they learn. We'll see. We have season and a half to go, so. And of course, nobody believes Crichton again, but at least this time he probably f- would figure that. So he had the foresight to have a DRD record them this time <laughs> to, to catch what happens and play it back to prove it. So that kind of takes away, you know, half an usual episode where he keeps having to try to convince people like, no, seriously, I'm not insane. <laughs> so. Yeah, Well, he's a copy, right? So nobody knows if he's trustworthy. They have to start that trust building exercise all over again because he could be one of the copies. Of the same exact person down to the, like, anyway, you go with him. Yeah, true. Mm. Yeah, could be some slight distrust, even though he's supposedly the same person. Who knows, really, right? You just have his word for it, right? Yeah. Well, actually, they have Jules word for it, so. Yeah, that's true. She says the same same genetic, identical person. So. But they don't really believe her either, so. Uh. Yeah, well, she's too new. You're not going to leave her right, right off the bat, right? So. And let's see, then we get uh, two members of the crew possessed by energy beings. From the cloud, yeah. You know, what? No. Yeah. And I guess kind of like in a Scorpio John parallel, one's evil and wants to capture or kill the other one. And the other one just wants to get away, and be left alone. Yeah, I didn't think about the the mirroring, but I see that mirror between the the two storylines. So it's kind of a nice way of tying them together. So good find there. Uh, otherwise, I kind of felt like they were just happening simultaneously. But that's about it. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of like you know Scorpius and John kind of parallels in this episode. I would have liked to have known if the wormhole that they were tracking was the same one that Scorpius was observing. But Yeah, although he's been gone for a couple episodes, so maybe they're like somewhere else wandering around looking for wormholes now, which I guess at some point they're going to want to pick back up and go find Crichton. If they, I guess if they can't get what they want out of the neural chip now that they're drilling into it, I guess more. Harvey Crichton. Yeah. <laughs> and then I guess we spend the rest of the plot line with them trying to figure out who's possessed. So, you know, it's kind of cool. They, they try the memory game. You know, I guess they believe that Talib is true when he says, you know, the being won't know personal details. So they try to trick each other into revealing some personal detail, obscure detail that they think they know or try to catch him in a lie. But it doesn't really work out all that well, at least for Jewel and then Dargo later. <laughs> so, oh, well. Yeah. I, again, I, as I said, the, the creature plot was my less interesting of those, intera- but the, the interactions were good, right? So, you know, as a plot device, it was less important than what we got around it. Yeah. The, the uh, I don't know what else to say there. So, yeah, it it was okay. <laughs> yeah, and it wouldn't be Farscape if their plans worked 100% the first time, right? That's just not how they work, so. Oh, no, the, the, the plans and stuff, it just, the I found the creatures less entertaining, you know, between a little bit of a light show and pilot being possessed and just talking a different voice, we really didn't get a whole lot of creature interaction, you know, so. Yeah, and it turns out, if you listen to the Moya, the, the the ship that's intelligent and sentient, that maybe she has a good idea after all. <laughs> so, and it was cool that you know, since they couldn't use Pilot to talk to Moya, that you know, the DRDs talked to Moya too, right? So, hey, and you know, nice callback to the original Star Trek with the uh, Crichton calling it Pike, you know, after Captain Pike, which was from the only two-part Star Trek story, The Menagerie. You know, so since you know DRDs can't speak, so you have it blink once for yes and twice for no, which is cool, which. Not sure you would have gotten that totally since you haven't really seen the original Star Trek. No, I, I haven't. I mean, I, I do know who Pike is, so I got that reference. Uh, I have a somewhat aware of, you know, I know which some of the main characters. Uh, there's a guy called Kirk somewhere in there, but yeah. But yeah small part, you know. Small, small part, yeah. A, a Klingon named Worf, uh, a Vulcan named Scotty. You know, I, I got it all up here. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I do think that... Uh, the blinking part kind of hung me up because it got me thinking, if Moya can communicate through the DRDs, why don't they put a voice chip in a DRD and let Moya have a voice? But anyway, you know, be nice when Pilot's unavailable. Yeah, or however like Moya communicates with Pilot, it's like at some level that I guess can't 
be represented with speech maybe i don't know like who knows who knows who knows how symbiosis works right so. right but the but the the drd could blink so the drd could have a voice box yeah that's just my thought but unfortunately drd pike does not survive so yeah but the next one will be um well we could have kirk and you know picard and just go from there yeah yeah the captain of the drd team yeah <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to mention about this episode before we jump into the next new thing? I, I did find it interesting, you know, if I'm going to compare this to the the last episode, right? Because we're bouncing back and forth. That I, I felt like the the conflict was much more serious for the other crew, right? The the issue with Talon and all the stakes and everything was going on, and yeah, the 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 possession had people wanting to take over bodies and keep them, but Overall, this was a much lower staked possession plot, I think, than I felt like it was we had with the other one. So it'll be interesting to see going forward how the different crews gel in the back and forth episode mix and kind of how they, they keep the levels of stakes between the two, right? Yeah, this is kind of more like your, I don't say average Farscape episode when they weren't split into two different crews, but it's kind of that same kind of vibe. You know, it wasn't like this, at least for them, the serious, you know, plot driven, you know, major plot element kind of thing. Although we get to see Scorpius again, which we haven't seen for like, I think most of the season he hasn't been around. So it's yeah, cool. It's, it's cool to catch up with him and what he's, what, what they're doing. So Yeah. The Scorpius side of it was where the stakes were in this episode. I think the, the, the plot progression, whereas the other one was just kind of the, you really could, this could have been an episode where part of the crew was on an away mission, right off screen, or they had to go down to the planet for supplies or something. And while this happened and it would have, you wouldn't have thought anything about the split. Yeah, or as we'll talk about later about the Mandalorian, they could have done like a whole thing where they do the whole story about Scorpius and crew and don't even hardly mention our, our normal characters, but they didn't do it that way. Yeah, I don't think Ben Browder's contract allowed for that. So, Yeah, since he's doing double duty now, effectively. Triple. He's, he's in every episode, whereas half the other cast is off one week or the other. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. So to keep things separated here in case you have not watched the Mandalorian and don't want to be spoiled or don't really care about the Mandalorian and just want Farscape or don't want to try to skip around chapter markers. And I want to try and make confusing chapter markers. <laughs> so we'll just tell you what's up next for Farscape next time. And then you can continue listening or not. So next time we'll cover season three, episode 10 relativity and playing our usual guessing game of what does that mean? Well, relativity, I guess you have Einstein's theory of relativity. So are we going to do some more timey-wimey or sciencey stuff? Yeah, probably not. They've already done time travel a couple episodes ago. So let's just stick with the usual play on words. Relativity, relatives. Uh, we have Aaron's mother out there, so I'm going to guess that's probably the most likely answer since we're hopping back to other crew, and that's where Aaron is. So it's got to be Aaron's mother. And it probably won't be Jothi, Dargo's son, because we just did Dargo episode and we hate Jothi, so we don't want to see him again. So that's not it. Yeah, we're, we're going to hopefully agree with that's that's correct, and we're, we'll put that off to the side. But it could go either way, but I think I agree between the two of them. Uh, I'm going to go with the Aaron's mother direction also. I, I don't think they laid that out as much as they did in the last episode, just to leave it hanging. And since they're bouncing back and forth, I think they'll want to jump back into it so we don't forget. Yeah, you want to leave that out there for too long, like other plot lines from other seasons where it's like, oh yeah, remember that plot line from like eight episodes ago? And now we're going to talk about it again. (laughs) (laughs) The entire first half of the episode will be a flashback so they can catch you up on what you were supposed to be remembering. Yeah, right. All right, so that is your homework for Farscape. And we'll, after edit, put in some little pauses here and some chapter markers to jump into Mandalorian. So... Can you throw in some Mandalorian music right here? Just I'm not going to make it hard on me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or you could just leave my do-do-do-do and go with it. So. Yeah, there we go. I'll, I'll crib the Disney opening for all the Disney Star Wars things. Yeah, so. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. All right. So that's our homework for Farscape. And we'll see you next time if you choose to leave us here. But don't. All right, so our first non-Farscapey thing. So we've both been watching The Mandalorian, and we're just going to cover the first four here, then we'll do the next four next time, because by the time we get around to recording the next one, it'll be done.
probably. All right, so we're not going to go like detailed like we do for Farscape because four episodes, we'd be here at another like hour and a half. So we're not going to do that, but <laughs> we're just going to give you like some like a really quick rundown of each episode, and then we'll freeform talk about all four of them together. All right, so episode one, which is chapter seventeen, because they just keep going, was called the Apostate, and being the first episode of the season, we open up with. Din Djarin saving his clan from a large monster attacking their initiation ceremony of youngling because, you know, that's why you stay on a planet full of dangerous monsters. Uh, apparently Din wants to atone for removing his helmet all that season. Uh, the armorer confirms that, uh, yeah, if the mines of Mandalore are still there, you can become a Mandalorian again by bathing in its sacred waters. So off he goes to try and do that. So he goes back to Navarro to meet High Magistrate Reef Karga, and he kind of helps him fight off some pirates. But Din's just there to rebuild IG-11, the droid back from Season 1, because he needs a droid he can trust to help get into the minds of Mandalore. They do actually revive IG-11, but he's gone back to his old original assassin programming, so they kind of shut him down rather drastically, and they need a new memory core to fix it. And then Din wanders off to meet Bo-Katan, also from the other season. She's on some old Mandalorian castle on a planet called Kalava, and she's kind of given up on her plans to reclaim Mandalore and just tells Din to go there by himself. She doesn't care anymore. And then we jump to chapter 18, the second episode, The Mines of Mandalore. Not to be confused with The Mines of Moria, that's a whole different IP. So we get Din and Grogu visit Peli Mato on Tatooine, because you've got to get your Tatooine episode in. Yeah, because you have to have at least half the season on Tatooine every <laughs> And you know, And they were just here, right? I mean, so and they're there in search of the new memory core for IG-11. She doesn't have one, but in cell, sells him... R5-D4. Uh, you may remember him from a previous Star Wars, the A New Hope, or just Star Wars if you're old. They fly to Mandalore, where Din orders R5 to scout ahead and ensure that the atmosphere is non-toxic, which goes about as well as you'd expect, and Din goes to see what happened to the droid. He's then attacked by several Alamites, which are a native troll-like species living in the caves. Heading deeper into the mines, Din is captured by a cyborg creature and sends Grogu back for uh, Bo-Katan's help. Bo-Katan shows up, rescues Din, kills the cyborg, and then leads him to the living waters. Din immerses himself to restore his status as a Mandalorian, but a sudden drop-off causes him to sink deep in the water. Yeah, Bo-Katan dives in to have, save uh, him. Kept your uh, backpack on there. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah your your jetpack. Yeah. Anything, or maybe put some air tanks in that helmet. But anyway, <laughs> Bo-Katan dives in to save him, and on the way back up, she comes face-to-face -face with a mythosaur, a legendary creature of Mandalorian mythology. You may remember it. It's skulls on the wall of pretty much every Mandalorian scene. And then chapter 19, episode 3, The Convert. So after Din recovers from his uh, near-death experience there, he and Bo-Katan depart Mandalore, although Bo-Katan does not tell him about seeing the mythosaur. They go back to her home planet of Kalava, but... They're attacked by Imperial TIE squadrons from some unknown capital ship who wind up destroying her home, so they're forced to retreat. And then we basically spend the whole rest of the episode back on Coruscant with Dr. Pershing. And if you remember him, he's our scientist buddy from the prior seasons who wanted to experiment on Grogu for Moff Gideon. Pershing's been given amnesty by New Republic, but he finds another former Imperial Moff lackey, Alaya Kane. She was a communications officer working for Moff Gideon, and she's now also on the amnesty program. She agrees to help him in his efforts to continue his cloning research, which is outlawed by the Republic. I guess after you do the whole Clone Wars thing, you kind of don't want to do cloning anymore. They manage to sneak aboard a decommissioned Imperial Star Destroyer to find a lab that has all his materials he needs. But on the way out, she betrays him to the Republic, and then later he's on some kind of like mind-wiping table that's only going to just, you know, take out just the bad parts. That always works out well. Yeah, and then she turns around and basically jacks up to 11 and pretty much makes him toast. Literally. That device sucked one whole year of his life away. Oh, wait. No, yeah. Wrong IP again. <laughs> yeah, another wrong IP. And then just in case you forgot that this was about the Mandalorian, we cut back to Din and Bo-Katan arriving back at the secret Mandalorian planet where Din presents the armorer with his sample of the living waters as proof of his redemption. And because Bo-Katan also says that she bathed in the waters, she's welcomed into the Enclave as well. This is the way. This is the way. And, and to wrap it up, episode four, chapter 20, The Foundling, Din introduces Grogu to the Mandalorian combat training. Grogu wins a training match, but his opponent, Ragnar Visla, is captured by a large raptor. Bo-Katan gathers a hunting party, which includes Din and Ragnar's father, Paz Visla. 
and leads them to the raptor's nest. The armorer then forges a new piece of Mandalorian armor for Grogu, bearing Din's mudhorn sigil. As she works, Grogu has visions of his rescue from the burning Jedi Temple by Jedi Master Kelleran Buck and sympathetic members of the Naboo Armed Forces. Vizsla's over-eagerness to save his son messes up Bo-Katan's plan and leads to an aerial chase where Bo-Katan and Din rescue the boy unharmed. They kill the raptor, collect his chicks, and earn the clan's respect. As the armor replaces Bo-Katan's shoulder pauldron she lost in the battle, she reveals her encounter with the Mythosaur. The armor meets her account with indifferent disbelief. Yeah, so that's where we leave off the first half of season three. So let's just kind of just jump around here because you know it's four episodes, so we're just so you think you know episode one usually you know it's the beginning of the season you know they're going to set up the plot lines or at least what you think is the plot line for most of the season, right? So you kind of think it's going to be about Din redeeming himself in the eyes of his Mandalorian friends and you know getting back into their good graces, and it's going to take him you know, all these different quests and it's going to take you know five six episodes. Nah, next episode's pretty much done. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting to me that he stuck with that belief of getting redeemed, right? Because I kind of thought all through the last season, it, it was all about him questioning those beliefs leading up to the end of the season when he revealed himself to Grogu, right? So, you know, I thought maybe they were just going to be like, yeah, he, he's moved past that strict belief system. And nope, they jumped right back into it. Yeah, because he's back to being like the Mandalorian, like the only one. Like he's just out doing his own thing. He's been exiled. He's, you know, Bo-Katan's lost her people. You know, she doesn't care. She's done. So he's like, okay. But nope, he still keeps, he still wants to get back there. So I mean, I guess, you know, he grew up with that, right? So I guess you go back to what you know, right? Yeah, it just wasn't interesting to, to, I didn't expect that to be the direction they went. But yeah, they, they definitely kind of focused a lot more on the clan this season than I was expecting. Yeah, so now there's kind of like all kinds of ways this can go. Now it's kind of looking like the main plot line, or at least a main plot line, now it could be about the Mandalorians reclaiming Mandalore, right? So now that Din's been to Mandalore, and it's not full of deadly radiation, or the atmosphere's not breathable, it's it's fine. So really, if he can make it through you know, the turbulent atmosphere, it's pretty much a planet. You can, you can live back on there. So maybe they'll try to reclaim Mandalore with somebody. Probably Bo-Katan, as we're seeing, she's becoming more important to the series. Yeah, I thought that was a, a great twist with her being redeemed as well, right? And between that and her being the one to see the Mesosaur and the stuff that goes with that, I, I can see her being the, the focus of kind of this, not so much being like more more than the focus than Den. Obviously, he's kind of the central character. But, you know, she's going to be the plot device that moves forward as they retake Mandalore and, and maybe bring some reunification to the Mandalorian people that are scattered. Yeah. Cause you know, I mean, she bathed in the waters and they're like, well, yeah, if you want to join our, I don't say what clan faction, whatever you want to call them. It's like, sure. You know, you bathe in the waters, you're, you're in as long as you keep your helmet on. Did you want to do that? Sure. Okay. Welcome. <laughs> so Yeah. And then right after that, she, you know, proved herself as a combat leader by leading the rescue mission, right? You know, she she didn't almost immediately got put in charge and got to be a a, a leader. Uh, I really like the scene. We didn't mention it, but I really like the scene where they were camping out before they stormed the the climb. And because she was the person in charge, they all left to take their masks off to eat and she got to stay at the fire and take her helmet off. Yeah, so, you know, she, she's bought into it and she's doing, she's keeping up with her end of the deal. So, you know, she's proven herself that, you know, they can trust her and she can trust them. So, yeah, I mean, she's getting kind of elevated. So And guess, you've got Katie Sackhoff, so you've got to let her take her helmet off occasionally. Yeah, because apparently Pedro Pascal's off doing, like, what the, what's that show he's in? Last of Us or whatever. So, yeah, he's yeah. not really there at all. He's, he's just doing the voiceover and it's just a body double <laughs> doing I, all his I, stuff I had this a, season. I had Among Us stuck in my head. I couldn't get to The Last of Us, so I couldn't help you there. I was I was stumped. <laughs> yeah, I've never played the game or I haven't watched the show either. So I'm like, that was something us. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, I, I had so. the wrong game in my head, so that was no good. But yeah, and I guess, well, it is called The Mandalorian. It doesn't necessarily mean it's Din. It could just be Bo-Katan. It could be The Mandalorian now. I assumed the whole point was eventually it was going to be Grogu, but, you know, whatever. Well, maybe. You know, he's slowly getting armored. So, you know, I guess because he's still, you know, a youngling or whatever, he doesn't have to have a, you know, hide his face yet. So No, the, the series has to end with him with the full set of armor and the dark saber. but yeah. 
Yeah, jumping around like he did for the little little fight, you know, jumping over like doing the Yoda jump spin <laughs> flip. <laughs> yeah, and I want him to go in and sit on Boba Fett's chair and be that. That'd be the cliffhanger at the end. So yeah, yeah. There we go. Now he, now he's the crime boss of Tatooine because <laughs> <laughs> it all has to go back to Tatooine, right? Right, because you know the, the 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 high end of the universe is the central point of the universe. So yeah, everything comes back to t- Tatooine, right? That's just how it works. And I guess maybe the other possible main ish plot line is is Moff Gideon still out there or is this some kind of fake out and it's somebody else is this thinking into the grand scheme of what's coming next in the Star Wars TV show world maybe it's Grand Admiral Thrawn are they going to try and tie the end of Mandalorian 3 into the Ahsoka series that's coming out next what do you think yeah I I could see that I'm I'm kind of unsure on this one because they're definitely doing their best to convince us that we're still focused on Gideon right I mean you've got his people doing all kind of subterfuge on Coruscant, yeah, all all the things that they're kind of echoing with him, but yeah, you've got Thrawn out there, and I'm kind of excited about that one, so I'm I'm ready either way. Yeah, because they're making you think. Obviously, it's Gideon because that's the only one we know so far. And obviously, those of us that know all the extended universe and stuff know about Thrawn and all that good stuff. But it, you know, if you just focus on this, you only think it's Gideon because he's the only other Imperial remnant kind of person you've seen so far. Except that first dude from, was it Warner Herzog from the first season who got wiped out, so he's done. Yeah, but, he's gone. Yeah. You know, and then, of course, you know they, they pop up his uh, former communication officer in episode three, which was her entire, so far, we've seen. So, you know, what do you think about episode three? It's kind of like a nice nice diversion, or you, you think it's a diversion, like, about Dr. Pershing and, oh, maybe he's going to get redeemed, or something's going to happen. Like, nah, he's, he gets whacked, and he's done. So, it wasn't about him. So it must be about her. Like she's got to be factoring in to you know episodes five through eight or something. Because why spend a whole episode talking about her and then just like a one-off, right? So yeah, the the structure caught me off guard, right? Because we you know we've been waiting on this to start. We're so focused in on the Mandalorian, and you get all these couple of really focused episodes on like the, you know the Mandalorian culture and the clan, the redemption, and all this kind of stuff. You're just really focused in on it, and then they just kind of like you get the opening and then blip, we spend the entire rest of the episode away from the Mandalorians. But I, I did enjoy that episode. And yeah, I, I think the, the Republic is really trusting of those former Imperials. Yeah. Cause most likely, you know, she's a double agent or triple agent, whatever you want to call it, you know, cause she's playing, she's helping root out bad Imperials kind of, but she is one. She is a bad oh. Imperial. <laughs> yeah. so. we're, if, if you're a bad Imperial, where do you hide? Right. Right. In plain sight. Right. You, She's she's not they don't suspect her if she's the one throwing her other people under the bus. Yep, you know she's all nice and wonderful until she's not. So. Yeah, just don't leave her with those dials. Yeah, because how do you not figure out that it was her that like fried Pershing? It's like he's in there by himself. She's like, you know, I'll, I'll have to stay here for a second or whatever or whatever she said to the guy when he left or whatever in, in her room. And then it's like, oh no, he's dead. I'm like, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, and, and no alarms, you know, we're not going to, anyway. <laughs> yeah, but hey, you know, we, we always quibble about things we like, but yeah, it just kind of seems like you could put two and two together here and be like, um, where were you exactly when he went crazy and died? <laughs> but, oh, well, <laughs> I don't know, the machine just went crazy, I don't know what happened. And, you know, we get a little, not, you know, what, like five, ten minutes on the episode about Grogu, like how he got out of Coruscant when Order 66 came down. So, you know, obviously he was even younger back then, so it wasn't him that got up by himself. He was helped. And um, it's kind of funny that um, I didn't know who it was until I saw the credits, and I, I, then I put it together. But um, Ahmed Best, the actor who played the voice of Jar Jar, was the Jedi that helped him. So that was kind of cool. Didn't quite make up for Jar Jar, but hey, you know, we'll take what we can get. Yeah, honestly, I was kind of wishing he just played a Jedi in the originals, and we did not have to. Anyway, I won't lump in my annoyance with that. Yeah, it was kind of funny because I was watching this one with with Jace. We were sitting sitting there watching it, and uh, as soon as I saw him, I just kind of reached over and tapped him. I'm like, you know who that is, right? And I let him sit there and work on it till he figured it out. But yeah, that was a cool little cameo. Yeah, because I'm bad with like faces, and you know, I didn't. I don't think I've seen him maybe once or twice in like maybe like show previews or um, movie premieres, that kind of thing. But I didn't I didn't put it together until I saw the credits, and I was like, oh wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So now I get to actually get back to the Star Wars universe and play around in it and. Not being yeah, I, everybody. I guess if you look into it, they've actually used that him, him as that character for some of the um, kid stuff at Disney. So, uh, oh yeah, okay. that was that wasn't a hundred percent original, uh, but it was a nice 
it's the first time he actually like was in media, right? Yeah, so they kind of make that canonical then. So that's cool. Yeah. And yeah, like we said, you know, Bo-Katan apparently is a, a firm believer in the way now. So she's not taking her helmet off. You know, she's helping them out. And so, yeah, I guess at least right now, she's not really interested in really Mandalore. So obviously that's just, you know, the, the hero's journey, right? You know, they're going to, you know, she doesn't want to do it. And she's going to be either forced into it or coerced into it or come to the realization that, you know, she's probably the best person still since, you know, her father was the leader of the Mandalorians. Of course, they that's when they got bombed out of existence, but still. So, you know, she's got some claim-ish, I guess, to leading the Mandalorians if she wanted to push it. Yeah, this is the kind of the spot where I think you're supposed to be wondering, is she really bought into the the this group's, this this faction's uh, belief system and, and that this is the, you know, the way with the helmet and all <laughs> that? Or is it is she kind of using this to, to be the first step on her journey towards reunifying the clans right you know so i don't know i'm I, I don't know which way that they they see it going at this point but uh i think it'll definitely come out as the season finishes up yeah because if she's just playing them that could be dangerous because then you don't want to like at the end reveal like oh yeah i don't really care about your you know silly helmet thing you know and then you know you probably fracture the mandalorians again if you re- reunite them so and plus that's not the star wars kind of way like you don't have those kind of characters that are that duplicitous you know on, on, on well, the good side, you know, you have obviously, you know, the comm officer, you know, acting good and being bad, but you know, these are our, our main hero characters wouldn't do that, that kind of like, you know, screw you move kind of thing. So. Yeah. Although, you know, she's former death watch and that's not always the, the shiny side, but I, I don't think she's, she's doing it for sinister reasons. I think it's just, you know, a, a battle plan. So what else did you like about the first half of the Mandalorian or where do you think it's going to go? I, I think obviously I, I, I thoroughly enjoy this series. It's probably my favorite favorite television thing right now. And that's been consistent across all three. I think it's interesting that where they've chosen to focus and, and some of the stuff they've... I didn't dislike Boba Fett, Book of Boba Fett as much as a lot of people did, but I think it's interesting how they've kind of pivoted right back to the stuff that The Mandalorian was was good at and so far avoided some of the pitfalls, I think, and and still furthered the the universe, you know, bringing stuff into canon that we've, we've got that gap between... Uh, you know, Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens, you know, to fill in. So they've got a whole lot of room to play. Yeah, I mean, it's fun that we see, like, that, you know, the, the Imperials weren't wiped out completely. You know, they're still hanging around because obviously, yeah, between Jedi and Force Awakens, they they kind of flip it back to them being more in power. So yeah, it's kind of cool to see how that's evolving because it's only, like, what, a handful of years? Four, I think. Four or six. It's not much. Yeah. So yeah, it's good to see, like, the first steps towards them becoming powerful again and like behind the scenes like how they're manipulating or how they're like hiding or you know spying on the new republic to do whatever they're going to do here we don't know in the next couple episodes but and and i i do think it's kind of interesting one of the things i feel like they're doing and maybe it's just my my me reading into it because it's what i like and grew up with but i feel like whereas you know the new trilogy which i I liked it's not like they dislike it but it kind of ignored a lot of the extended universe stuff that we had built up in between and this series seems to be pulling a lot more of, you know, bits and pieces from the extending universe and, and making them part of the the new canon that um, was kind of ignored by the others or just they just couldn't address in the trilogy. Yeah, because you know they're kind of tying in from end of Revenge of the Sith. They're tying they're tying in like the the Clone Wars animated series Rebels. You know, because that's where Bo-Katan showed up in Rebels, right? Mm-hmm. So, and now here's no, she, action. No, she was in Clone Wars. She was? Okay. Yep. It's been so while. I've, I've only seen each of them once. I can't remember. You know, it's been like, yep. what, 10, 10 years now? <laughs> yeah. Mandalore, Mandalore had a lot um, with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He he had a, a romance thing with her sister. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I kind of really remember that. But yeah, so it's cool that they're, you know, keeping like the new continuity, you know, they're building on that. And then I guess we'll see where the end of season three leaves us, right? Like, is it going to lead us to the Ahsoka series? Because that's coming up next. You know, if there's going to be a Mando season four, then obviously then wherever this ends or whatever, they'll take us into that. Or like a week or two before we recorded this, they kind of released their next three movies that they're going to possibly be doing. And one of them is apparently some kind of Mandalorian movie that will wrap up all of like Mando, Boba Fett, Ahsoka into a movie so hey you know we don't know wow i i actually missed that bit of news so i did see the preview for um the soka trilogy so we can talk about that at some point but uh 
yeah, there's exciting stuff to come for sure. Yeah, it was like this Mandalorian movie, like a old Republic kind of movie, and then like a new movie with Ray. Like, so they kind of hit all the eras, I guess. So, it'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. We're definitely along for the ride. You know, I love I've loved Star Wars since I went to the first movie back in '77. So you know, it's been what fifty, <laughs> ugh, almost fifty years. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to steer clear of that part of the conversation and just say I'm excited for things to come, and obviously I'm a big Star Wars fan too. So, yeah. Because uh... I'm, I'm an old man, as we've said before, yes. So. <laughs> just because I wasn't born when that movie came out. Was... <laughs> Damn, kids. <laughs> Whippersnapper. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't get to yeah. say that with very many people. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I have fond memories of standing in line at a movie theater for hours waiting to get in, so it's, well, I still remember it. Anyway, so <laughs> next time, in addition to our Farscape rewatch, we will handle the rest of Season 3, so Episodes 5 through 8. And, and who knows, maybe after that we'll circle back and maybe check in on the Bad Batch, because I still haven't finished that yet, but I'm trying to dodge spoilers because I really like that show too. Yeah, because we can figure out how we want to do that, since that's like 16 episodes. You want to just do like one... <laughs> I'm not gonna recap everything then. <laughs> if we do one, no, one we may just want to thing, talk but, about it. But yeah, just, it, just it's a fun series. Yeah, because I've been watching that obviously, and that's been excellent as always. All right, so I'd say that's your homework here too. But I guess if you're listening to this, then you're watching it, so there's no reason to like force you to watch it. So anyway, until next time, goodbye. See ya. Mm-hmm.